Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to HIV Hope and Charity, a podcast series brought to you by TVPS, a charity that's been supporting people affected by HIV since 1985. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess and we work for TVPS and our aim is to get as many people as possible HIV educated. If you like the podcast, please rate, subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome, drumroll, to HIV Hope and Charity. Hello. I have no idea what kind of edition it is, so I won't try and announce that part. Oh, okay. And we're looking at history rather than one specific hero this week history Lovely. that's from the that's from the theme tune if people are just listening to this episode <laughs> not that you just sing random words no no that's not it so what kind of his well obviously hiv history answer my own question um, yeah. but more specifically what's the subject matter one day i'm just gonna say no no nothing to do with hiv that we do 80s fashion this week I've just carried on with an American theme. I've gone very American the last few weeks. That's true. And this week is no different because we, as I said, we're not looking at history. No, we are looking at history. This is an excellent start. We're not looking at a specific hero. Sometimes I think, oh, you'll edit all that out. And actually, it's probably impossible. Oh, dear. What is happening? It's probably impossible to edit all the errors. You'd just be there your whole life just in the little editing suite. This so. is probably going to blow people's minds, but it actually takes me ages to edit our podcast. So they're probably all sitting there going, they definitely don't edit this, the amount of nonsense they speak. And it's like, oh, no, 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 it's heavily edited. Is that just because of me? Because I can't speak, I'm inarticulate, and I actually don't appear this week to know what we're doing. <laughs> it's more, um, we both, see, I just did it there. I'm going to leave that one in. We both say, uh, a lot. Um, oh, I did oh. It again. <laughs> See? So I edit those out as much as possible because no one wants to hear, an, you know, 25 minutes of earning. We also, I needed it again. That's my go-to. We also use odd phrases. And one of my favourites is where both of us go, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, no. So I edit it just so we say it once because the other three, four seem unnecessary. 
The best way forward is for me to say nothing and then your editing job is easy. Yeah, this is it. So thank you for listening, everyone. And that's the end of HIV Hope and Charity today. (laughs) Oh, except it's not just such a tease, Jess. This week we're looking at buyers clubs. So the most famous of these is, of course, Dallas Buyers Club. Famous because of the film of the same name. No surprise to you. I've never seen it. That is a zero surprise to me. You're correct. Have you watched it? I have. Yes, I have indeed. It, I think Jared Leto won an Oscar for Rayon, didn't he? Okay. Yeah, but apparently this person, I, I think they weren't actually real. In the film? Uh, no, Rayon wasn't in, because it's based on Ron Woodruff. I can never say his surname properly, but I think that's how you pronounce it. And yes, in real life, he didn't know anyone called Rayon. That, that was added into the film. Right, give it a, another dimension, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. But he did set up the Dyers, the Dyers Ballast Club. Excellent. The Dyers Ballast Club. The most horrendous podcast we've done yet. Embrace it. Let's embrace our flaws. <laughs> I don't think there's enough embrace in the world to do that to all my flaws, but we'll give it a go. So, I mean, the easy thing would just be look at the film, wouldn't it? And just read out kind of what happened in the film. But actually, it is it's based on his life, but it's embellished. So I thought, well, okay, why not just look at buyers clubs in general? Because there wasn't just one in Dallas. They were all over America. I didn't realise that. (laughs) I I had no idea. I honestly just thought it was just the Dallas Buyers Club. That was the one there was. No. So let's start with what they were. First of all, that's probably the best place to start. So in the AIDS epidemic, so we're back in the 80s, which is my comfort zone. Buyers clubs were used to smuggle large quantities of non-FDA approved foreign drugs into the United States. The FDA are the Food and Drug Administration. Once they'd smuggled in the drugs, they were distributed to the membership of the club. Members paid a membership fee, usually a monthly cost, to have access to the drugs from the club. So you basically paid your money and you could self-medicate. No, it sounds risky, but as we unpick all of this, you'll see why people were driven to do this. So we go back to the 80s. Oh, you've opened your mouth. Are you yawning? No, no, I was about to speak, but I didn't. I'm trying not to butt in. I'm working on myself. Opening your mouth. <laughs> well, maybe I'm trying to signal to you that <laughs> I'd like to speak. I should put my hand up yeah. next time. That would probably work better than sat open mouth. So it is essentially drug smuggling. Is that sort of what, what we're saying? So if someone were caught, it would be a similar... Why were the drugs illegal? Wait, are we going to go into all of this? We are going to go into Ignore all of this. Ignore me then. Because on the face of it, yeah, that statement, you're like, what? Why? Why would you import drugs when, you know, it's America. Drugs all over the place. Let's explain. In the 80s, the response to HIV and AIDS was slow everywhere, not just in the UK. We've covered this many times, haven't we? Mm. Where they just didn't seem to take any action to stop the virus from spreading. And it wasn't until the late 80s that the first HIV meds were available. I say meds, plural. I mean, there was just one, AZT. And it had side effects. It didn't always work, but it's all they had. So AZT, it prolonged life, but it wasn't a cure. As we know, there's no cure for HIV. And it was originally developed as a drug to help cancer patients. But it wasn't used because it failed clinical trials involving mice. Does that sound like the mice were conducting the trials? Because they weren't. (laughs) Yes, it does. In tiny white coats. (laughs) No, they were testing the drug on the mice. The mice weren't conducting the tests. I Um, think it was both. 
Just no. a little like mice town where, you know, your GP is a mouse. I'm not buying into this. It, it goes into a weird world of fantasy that I'm not prepared to enter. <laughs> so let's look at AZT first of all. It is a little bit sciencey, but not much. Oh, science glasses are coming out. Only okay. because I've got them on the face now. Only because you had said to me yesterday, I had obviously we were organising when we were going to record the podcast, and um, Sarah said, "Oh, it's a bit sciencey." So I made sure had them ready. Excellent. We also bigged up our podcast to uh, our boss Sean. I wish we hadn't done that now. Why? Well, you don't want him to listen. Not to this episode. He was talking. You don't want him to hear about Mouse Town and my no. ideas. <laughs> no. Just turn off now, Sean. Although it's probably too late, isn't it? He's already heard. The start, Dyer's Ballast Club, Mouse Town. (laughs) Oh, Oh, never mind. Okay, so look, AZT, the first HIV drug. It started, or it was developed, I should say, because there was a theory in the 60s that most cancers were caused by environmental retroviruses. And that's because all avian cancers were caused by bird retroviruses. I didn't even realise that birds could get cancer. All animals get cancer? I don't know. Well, you think, yeah. So, and, and cats and dogs, pets do, don't they? But yeah, you're right. I'd never heard of a bird having cancer, but then I don't know that many birds. No. How would you know? <laughs> right? I didn't tell you. <laughs> okay, so the thinking is, if bird cancers are caused by bird retroviruses, then human ve- retroviruses might be causing human cancer. But up until that point, human retroviruses hadn't been found. So they found the link between the birds, cancer and the retroviruses, but not in humans. Right. And it led to the development of AZT. So they were thinking, this is the line we're going along. If it happens in birds, it could happen in humans. And actually, if it did happen in humans, we need something to combat it, develop AZT. But obviously at that time, there were no retroviruses known to affect humans. Little did they know back then what was going to happen in the future. The trials on the mice didn't go well so AZT was shelved it just wasn't needed couldn't address any illness because there wasn't any in humans um, and the mice were affected badly by the trials on them now we know from our world aids day podcast the one with Francoise Barry Sadoussi yeah that there was a link discovered between leukemia and retroviruses do you remember yes yes I do so that paved the way for our understanding of what was then called grid later led to becoming called HIV and it led to AZT being brought back off the shelf and subjected to the usual clinical trials but this time in relation to HIV. Fast track through the system it's not a new drug they've already got to a certain point in the trials so they knew what they were working with and they filed for patent in 1985 still five years after kind of HIV surface but still the fda approved the drug for use against hiv aids and a new one for me arc aids related complex yeah i haven't heard of arc obviously we've done the history of all the different acronyms like sarah just mentioned grid gay related immune deficiency and sort of how we moved forward and how hiv and aids finally got their name but yeah i I haven't heard of arc either but it's mentioned under the fda approval So, yeah, learning all of the time. The length of time for approval from lab to patient was 25 months, the shortest period of drug development 
in history then I mean that's certainly not the case now not since Covid well I was actually going to say wow that's really that's a really long amount of time but perhaps I'm saying that because I've lived through the Covid pandemic where yeah. it was just like rushed out oh do you think that's our expectation when drugs normally need to be tested and approved it can take up to 10 years it can take a long time you're so right it's a really long time isn't it but I feel on the back of Covid we're now going to expect these things to be done very quickly any new virus I want a vaccination instantly I'm going to expect the army there you know helping sort it out getting people in line getting them vaccinated so 25 months back then yes very quick to get it from you know the lab to the patient and it needed to be because people were dying it was subsequently approved for infants and children in 1990 so they had to wait a bit longer understandably because they're younger And I know I'm saying, well, it's not long at all. But I mean, if you're living with a terminal illness, must have felt like an eternity. You hear that there's this drug in the pipeline that won't cure you, but will help with the side effects. But it's not available to you. And the side effects from HIV, as we know, are horrific. You know, some of the infections they had to put up with that couldn't be treated were awful. During this time, when they after they patented patented it, gosh, here we go again, more bad words. Obviously, clinical trials were taking place because the next step after testing drugs on animals is to test them on humans. But the trials were on a fairly small scale. Um, And there's, of course, no guarantee if you're on a trial that you're actually taking the medication. You could be given a placebo. Some people weren't eligible for the trials. And for some, the side effects were so bad they couldn't continue to take that particular drug. So people were desperate, not just, as I said, for treatment for HIV, but also treatment for the infections that they were experiencing on a recurring basis. And they wanted anything to make their lives a bit more comfortable. And that's where the buyers clubs came in. So they grew in popularity in America. And you think, well, why on earth do you do you even need a buyers club? It's one of the richest countries in the world. What's going on here? But it's to do with volumes of scale. So if lots of people want the same medication, you can buy it in bulk and therefore you're going to get it at discount. Oh, clever. Yes, a very savvy decision by those who needed the drugs. And actually, if you think about the choice that they had, it was either to all club together and to source the drugs from other countries where they had been approved Or do you club together and take on the authorities and pressurise them to move more quickly and make more drugs available on a kind of, not on a be easier basis, no, to make more drugs available more widely? My choice, I think, would be just give me the drugs. I agree. I think actually the second option that you're saying would take a ton of time and might not actually result in anything, whereas you could put that time and effort into sourcing the drugs for the buyers clubs and get what you need. So that's why they were needed is because everything was taking, in their opinion, too long. And, if you know, if you're living within that community, you're losing friends to this awful illness. Even 25 months is too long to wait for a drug that won't cure you anyway. It's just going to prolong your life. So the first and largest buyers club was called People with AIDS Health Group or PWA health group and it was founded in 1986 by three men so they're thomas hannon and who was an american opera singer joseph sonnabend who was a south african physician did i say that right see i'm so paranoid now a south african physician south african doctor physician is that what is that where we're trying to get to oh dear it's like posthumous all over again 
Oh, maybe it's just words with P that I don't like. No, I was the one that got that wrong. You got that right. Oh, physician. Physician. I'll start that bit again. Joseph Sonnabend, a South African physician. I still didn't say it right. (laughs) Just don't. It's like a tongue twister for you. So they were Thomas Hannon, an American opera singer. Joseph Sonnabend, a South African doctor, scientist and HIV researcher. Um, He was actually one of the first doctors to notice amongst his gay male patients the immune deficiency that would later be called AIDS. And then the third person was someone called Michael Callan. He was an American singer, a songwriter, composer, author and AIDS activist. The reason I am telling you all of this is to illustrate these clubs. They're set up by professionals. You know, one of them is a doctor. And they're doing what they can to help their communities. Although I know it sounds a bit shady, you're setting up a club, you're taking money off people, you're sourcing illegal drugs. Nothing like that at all. These are people who know what they're doing. Yeah, more legitimate than it outwardly sounds. Yes, they're not trying to exhort money out of people. You know, they're setting up clubs because they're really frustrated at the slow progress being made to medicate those living with HIV. So other clubs started after that one around America. They're all completely independent of each other, but they would circulate kind of product information around. So they were helping each other out, but they were run separately. So the Fort Lauderdale Buyers Club, they had um, they set up a code of ethics. Yes, you've got your hand up. Sorry, I was just going to say, imagine if they all clubbed together in one mega club, how many drugs they could buy. This is true, actually. And you, I, I bet there's a reason hard. why. I bet there has to be a reason why, where perhaps it's almost that they could smuggle in a certain amount, but perhaps not the amount for like all of the clubs in America. Yes, maybe there's there's the danger that you you really are going to bring attention to yourself. Because Ron in the Dallas Buyers Club, he's going over the border into Mexico to bring drugs back and saying they're for his own personal use. Um, and in fact, in fact, you can do that if you, but, you know, obviously he was bringing in larger quantities and then going, yeah, yeah, these, these are definitely all for me. So you're right. The more you try and bring over the border or in from elsewhere in the world, the harder it's going to be to kind of hide that yes. or claim it's just for personal use. So Fort Lauderdale, their bias club set up a code of ethics that most clubs subscribe to and it included the requirement that products should be provided at the lowest possible cost. So the primary goal of the buyers clubs was not profit but providing life-saving services to their members. So they have strong ethical code here that they want everybody to follow that it is really nothing to do with making money. And in fact, some of the people, I mean, the people sourcing the drugs are putting themselves at quite high kind of risk. And I imagine there are probably people that just don't have the money to be able to pay and other people within the club who do, who are willing to pay a little bit more. Very fair, very equal, all wanting to help each other out. And the buyers clubs have another benefit because they're able to provide advocacy, education, support, as well as information on drug development. So for a lot of people, they're a really valuable resource. I mean, I suppose in some ways they're like the earliest kind of form of peer support, aren't they? That really is. Now, we've touched on this. They were illegal. They're sourcing and supplying unapproved drugs, but only to their members. They're not selling them on the street. And I think the FDA kind of turned a blind eye to a lot of activity. I mean, I don't think they'd have had the resource to tackle all of the buyers clubs anyway. Mm. I think it was only if you took really big risks with big quantities of drugs that they would have stepped in. Um, And in the 
Dallas Buyers Club, you know, he does encounter the FDA when he's bringing drugs over the border. And they kind of choose to believe that, yeah, this is all for personal use. So they're kind of letting him get away with it. So there was some empathy there, I think. Yeah, like you're saying, I'd like to think that although it literally was illegal, that actually people were understanding and would let some of it slide. Yeah, I think so. I mean, gosh, if they tried to tackle all of them, because there were a lot, there were a huge number of buyers clubs. If they tried to tackle all of them, they wouldn't have been able to anyway. Well, can you imagine trying to prosecute someone who's literally saying, I am breaking the law because I am trying to... (laughs) help myself with this medication, help my own health because our government is taking forever and I'm also trying to help these other people. I'd like to think there'd be absolute uproar and protests in the street if someone was arrested for that. I think there would have been, definitely. And I think for some people, I mean, this is a brand new illness, isn't it, in the 80s with lots of different kind of side effects. And we've got, remember, the number of kind of doctors that knew a lot about HIV was quite limited at that time. And I think sometimes the symptoms that they were presenting to their doctors, the doctors just didn't know how to medicate or possibly were like, well, this is just something you have to live with because you've got HIV. I don't think there was always the sympathy that perhaps there should have been. And that, again, fuels their desire to say, well, if you're not going to help me and you're not going to treat my symptoms, I'll find someone who will because I have no choice. Exactly that. No other no other option. Yeah, so I can totally understand kind of why they chose to do it the way that they did. Now, they don't really exist as much anymore, buyers clubs, for HIV anyway, because meds became more widely available. And HIV drug knowledge um, and knowledge actually about the virus increased. And it did increase at pace. I know some people probably be like, no, it didn't. But when you look at the timeline, it it did. So buyers clubs were no longer needed. Different combinations of HIV meds became more readily available. Information sharing about how HIV should be managed became much more commonplace. The pool of clinical experts and scientists grew. And although different strains became resistant to medication, new meds were always in the pipeline. So far fewer people were developing AIDS. Right. And therefore they didn't need to look for alternative medication sources. It was becoming much more readily available through the American healthcare system. But that means that we should never forget the originators of the Buyers Clubs because they made a huge difference, including Ron Woodruff, who started the Dallas Buyers Club because they took the risks in obtaining the medication and they broke the law, but out of desperation. And as I said earlier, I would have done the same. So I totally get where they're coming from. Honestly, it never fails to amaze me how many brave people there were in the 80s doing stuff like this it never fails to amaze me every week when we do a podcast how many amazing and brave people there are that have done the most astounding things in the world of HIV for themselves for other people it's just crackers Mm. say every week I'm so happy we're doing this podcast even if it's just you and me I know it's not just you and me because I see our stats and I know we've got lots of listeners but even if it was just you and me I'd still want to do this Yeah, I would too. There's so much I didn't know about not just the history of HIV, even people we featured like now in kind of modern days, so much work going on. So much, such a fascinating subject that actually really doesn't get enough airtime on anything, you know, might be a 
a film like, like the Dallas Bias Club that's a really big film and then we're talking about HIV for a while or maybe a documentary comes out don't get me wrong these are all amazing all fantastic but then it just dies away again doesn't it and mm. sometimes we have to go over the same topics because it's important and people still aren't listening and they're still not learning so I think we don't always get a chance to like you'll say explore people that are doing amazing work at the moment or all the things that have come before. I just can't believe this. Buyers Cubs are amazing. I know. And although I said they don't exist today, that's not strictly true, actually, is it? Because if you think about prep a few years ago. Of course. And the difficulties people in the UK had getting hold of it before um, it was approved by the NHS. That's very similar, isn't it? All working together to find the cheapest ways to buy it. Yes, and and the best ways, the safest ways. Yeah, that's like a modern day equivalent of a buyer's cup. I know. In one form or another, these things do still exist. I was looking at outside of HIV and thinking, well, does this ever happen anywhere else? Because obviously we're a podcast for HIV, so we'll focus on that. But do other people living with different illnesses have trouble getting meds to treat themselves, you know, in the same way that PrEP wasn't readily available? And it's true. So I found this BBC News article that was published in 2019, and it's highlighting a group of people with cystic fibrosis that are working together to source a drug called Orcambi, which was only available at the time from NHS England for certain people on compassionate grounds. But it was known to have a significant benefit for um, people with a certain type of cystic fibrosis. And they formed a buyer's club to source the drug from abroad. Um, and negotiated with, uh, I think it was a company in Argentina to get this drug. And again, it was economies of scale. The more people they could get to join their club, the cheaper they would be sold the drug. So it still happens now. Um, Only a couple of years ago, that is, yeah. that that's still happening. Yeah, wow. they were called the Cystic Fibrosis Buyers Club. Whoa! I know. I wonder if they're still going. Well, we'll if they are, we'll obviously put the link up. And we'll put the article, as we always do. We always cite our sources. But yeah, we'll put the link up if there's people want to go and look that up. Oh, wow. You know, so still, even in this day and age, people still have to fight or be innovative in how they source medication. That has often been approved in other areas of the world. That's how they know it works. That's hard. You're already battling with your own health to try and keep fighting even harder Mm. to help yourself. Must be so difficult. So there you go. Oh, I finished on a sad note. No, it's fine. It felt poignant. There's everything you need to know about buyers clubs in the 80s. That was fantastic. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Um, I'm actually going to go and rewatch because I, I only watched the Buyers Club, Dallas Buyers Club, when it came out. And that's quite a while ago now. So you've actually inspired me. I think I'm going to go and have a little rewatch. Oh, well, I should just watch it, shouldn't I? I mean, I feel like the time has passed, Sarah. I feel like if you were going to watch it, it would have been before we recorded this. <laughs> like, just don't, don't That would have been it. a good idea, wouldn't it? Why well, do you buy us clubs? Where can I source my information? <laughs> Not from that na- massive film that came out a few years ago. No, no, no. But you know what? I like that you didn't just do it solely on that, because like you're saying, that would have been a really easy option and, you know, a great one. But I love that you didn't. And actually, we've looked at the full history and acknowledged the other ones that existed as well. So well done, you. Thank you very much. Acknowledging everyone. I like it. (laughs) Yes. Creating a lot of work for myself. Well done, me. Thank you so much. um, I look forward, as ever, to seeing you next week for another amazing episode. Excellent. I will see you then. 
Thank you for listening to HIV Hope and Charity. If you'd like to know more about the work that we do, visit tvps.org.uk. And please like, subscribe and rate the podcast if you enjoyed it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.